Good morning, Redeemer Church. It is great to be back in Dubai and worshiping with you this morning. Last week, our brother, Dr. TJ, he reminded us that we live in a broken world. And he showed us how confession is the pathway to surprising joy. And this week, we're also reminded and we see that we're living still in a broken world. There are many reasons to despair if our eyes are not fixed on God. We, we see mountains moving into the sea. We see nations falling. In the midst of chaos, though, in the midst of God's judgment, there's no reason to despair, is what we're going to learn this morning, because God is our fortress. God is with us. Now, for some of us, we know this. You know, intellectually in our minds, we know it. But then when we face any kind of hard time, whether it be something small or large, we quickly look to try to solve that problem ourselves. Or we look to someone else who maybe, hey, this person or this president or this country can help me. But may our time today in God's word remind us, let's not look to ourselves or look to others, but let's look to God. May Psalm 46 remind us that our hope is in God alone. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and that you are using it to shape us and to transform us to be more and more like Christ, to be more dependent on you. So this morning, Father, may your spirit teach us, convict us, encourage us, Lead us to worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we begin this morning um, in Psalm 46, I want us to begin with the superscription. That's the description that's right after the title. So if you open with me into Psalm 46, you'll see it says, God is our fortress as the title. And then directly underneath it, it mentions that it's to the choir master of the sons of Korah according to Alamatha's song. And I want to st stop there for a second and ask you, does that name Korah, do you recognize it? Do you remember a story about Korah rebelling against God? So if we turn over in Numbers, if we look in Numbers 16, we get this story, a whole chapter, about the father of these sons of Korah. And he led a rebellion against God. He went and recruited 250 leaders among the people of Israel to join him in this rebellion. And they gathered up the congregation of Israel, those who were rebelling, and they go before Moses and Aaron. And they declare that Moses and Aaron are not leading the people to worship God. They're actually leading for their own power and their own recognition that all the people of God can equally come before the Lord, but come before the tent of meeting. So they bring their charges to Moses and Aaron, and Moses falls down before them. He's so disappointed, and he tells them, come back tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, God will show you who is holy, who is righteous before him. And he tells Korah, and he tells all 250 leaders, he says, bring censers with you tomorrow, which was this device that they had 
where they could burn incense before the Lord. So bring your incense tomorrow before the Lord. And so in the morning, that next morning, they all showed up before the tent of meeting, before the tabernacle. They're burning incense. Moses and Aaron are there as well. And the glory of the Lord shows up. And God tells Moses and Aaron, you need, you need to get away because I'm about to consume the entire congregation. And Moses falls on his face, Moses and Aaron both, before the Lord, and they plead. They beg God not to do that. Don't punish the nation of Israel because of the sins of one man. And so God, he says, Moses, tell the congregation, tell them to get away from the tents of Korah and these other two leaders because I'm going to take them. And so Moses gets the people away and then the earth opens up and it swallows Korah, his tent, and everything in it. Now you may be asking, like, why, why, are we tell, why am I telling this story when we're studying Psalm 46? And there are three reasons why I think it's important for us to be aware of this story. Psalm 46 is for those who fear God, those who trust Him. These promises that are in this psalm are meant for those who fear Him. When you don't fear God, when you don't trust God, judgment does come. Death comes, just like it did for Korah. But secondly, we see God's promise that He doesn't punish children for the sins of their fathers that all of Korah's descendants did not perish on that day when that tent was swallowed up by the earth. But that clearly we don't know how, but there were some children, some sons that were faithful to the Lord that were not there. And God not only protected them that day, but I mean, years later, they are leading the nation of Israel in worship. The sins of their father are recorded in Scripture for all of time, and yet that's not held against them. They're writing psalms that we still use today to worship the Lord. So it's worth noting that. And then the third thing is the imagery in this psalm. It's, it seems like an exaggeration, the earth opening up, the earth being moved, mountains toppling or the seas coming up over the top of mountains. Those seem like exaggerations, but Israel knew that God was all-powerful and they'd seen God do some amazing things. Think about the seas taking over the mountains, the great flood. It happened before they knew it had happened. They'd seen the earth open up and swallow someone. They knew what God's judgment was like. They'd seen the Red Sea part so that they could walk through on dry ground and then close up again behind them. So this wasn't an exaggeration, what they wrote in this psalm. These were reminders of God's faithfulness. So let it remind us as well, and let us encourage us to, to be faithful to God, to follow Him. Now, one last note I want to mention. Sometimes when we're reading psalms, we get this idea that the psalmist's life is a lot easier than ours. If they were facing the same thing that we're facing, Maybe they would doubt as well. Maybe they would stop following God. But the, the sons of Korah, they've written Psalms 42 through 49, all of these Psalms. 
And if you take the time to read each of them, you will see that their life wasn't perfect. They had a lot of troubles. Psalms 42 tells us, it says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil? They had troubles. They were worried. Psalm 43 continues that. Psalm 44 cries out to help for God to save the entire nation of Israel. Life wasn't easy for them either. And so they wrote this psalm, Psalm 46, as a reminder that in the midst of all of these hardships, in the midst of these struggles that we are facing, we know that God is there. We know that we have many reasons to be faithful to him, to not walk away from him. We can assume, just like in this room today, that many of us, when hard times come, there's this tendency to doubt, to wonder, is God really there? And so the psalm was written to remind them that yes, to remind us, yes, he's here. He's always here. He is always present. And we should never doubt that. And so we're going to walk through this psalm now in detail so that we can see that. And Lord willing, when you have hard times, when you're struggling to stay faithful to the Lord, to not doubt him, you will remember Psalm 46. Remember his faithfulness to us. Now, there are three sections in the psalm. And you may wonder, well, how did I divide it up? Well, there's a word in the psalm three times, selah. And to the best of our knowledge, this word is a reminder to the musicians or to the reader ourselves or to the singers to pause, to pause. And so we're gonna, I'm dividing up the psalm with the selah. So one through three is the first section, and then four to seven, and then the last section would be eight through 11. So let me read for us one through three. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So we see great natural destruction in this first section. Again, the earth is giving way, the mountains are being moved. And I think, as I shared earlier, that this is reminding them of specific things that have happened. It's potentially reminding them of Korah's rebellion and how God swallowed him up. It's reminding them of the great flood. Now why though, why remind them of these times of judgment? Because even during these times of terrifying judgment, for those who are faithful to God, God protected them. God was their fortress. And so if we go back to the great flood, Noah was found righteous in God's eyes. And so God provided a way for Noah and his entire family to survive the flood. In Korah's rebellion, God did not punish all of them. But God not only saved the nation of Israel, but he saved even some of the sons of the guy that rebelled against him. So God is faithful even in the midst of hard times, even in the midst of times when he's bringing judgment to save those and protect those who trust him, who follow him. So when we read that first verse, God is our refuge and strength. Just think about what that means. He's our shelter. He's all powerful. When you put those two together, you get that idea of a fortress, that he is where he is, being in his presence is that safe place that no one can touch us. And the second half of the verse is just as important. 
He's a very present help. He's not just a help in the past. He isn't just a help one day in the future. He's not just a help on certain times of the month or certain days of the week, but every moment of every day, He is with us. He is our help. He is a present help, even when we don't necessarily see it. Now, you may be wondering as well, and something that came to mind for me is, what what does this mean? Like, does this mean that we cannot die? Like, we can't physically pass away because he's our fortress? Is that what the message they were sharing? And if we turn over to Psalm 49, their last psalm, the Sons of Korah, have written in this section, we know that that's not the case at all. In Psalm 49, they write about trouble there as well, and they write about unjust, unrighteous people that are doing very well in this world. They're getting very rich. They're succeeding. But then the psalmist writes, but everyone, rich and poor, wise and foolish, all of us are going to die. But then he writes verse 15, Psalm 49, 15, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. So God being our fortress isn't promising that we cannot die in this world, but he's promising that even death can't take us from his presence, that even death cannot separate us from God. And we're gonna get more into that as we walk through this. So we see these terrifying acts of judgment that God's doing and natural disasters, you could say, happening that just seem overwhelming. But even in the midst of those, no matter what is happening, we have plenty of reasons to trust because God is our fortress and he cannot be moved. Now, as we move into this second section, let me read it and then I want you to consider what is the transition that is happening here. So there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, and the God of Jacob is our fortress. All right, so in the first section, we see judgment, we see horrific acts after being reminded that God is with us. God is our fortress. So therefore, no matter what happens, we can trust him. We should not fear. And then the very first verse in section two describes a river that is making the city of God glad. Now, Jerusalem didn't have a river. So I don't believe it's speaking of Jerusalem. I actually think the sons of Korah are thinking back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2.10 describes for us that a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and then it became four rivers. It divided and became four rivers and went out to water the earth. So the sons of Korah, they're looking back to the Garden of Eden, to the original city of God. And when you think about that description of a river, that a one river that becomes four, then I think we can probably safely assume that the Garden of Eden had to be up on the top of a mountain. 
Because then you can imagine the river flowing out of the garden and as it goes down the mountain that it separates into four rivers to bring life to the earth. And that would be the second point just to notice with that, that throughout Scripture, rivers of water, they bring life, they represent life. If we go all the way to the end of the Bible, to Revelation 22, it speaks of a river that's going to flow from the throne of God through the New Jerusalem, and it will be the waters of life. So we saw judgment, and now we see a river, and it represents life, the restoration that comes. We also see that this is the place that God dwells. This is God's holy habitation. He is here in the midst of this city. And so the city shall not be moved. It, it will not fall. It will not be toppled. This is another reason why it cannot be referring to Jerusalem. Jerusalem falls multiple times because of the sins of the Israelites. It's conquered by other nations. But this city will never be conquered. God is here. God is at work. So we have these great promises, beautiful sanctuary that God is preparing. But then again, verse 6, we see the nations, they're raging. The kingdoms are falling. So probably they're at war with each other. They're destroying one another. And so what does God do? He utters his voice. God spoke creation into existence. And God brings judgment the same way by speaking. And when he utters his voice, the earth melts. So they all fall away. They are all destroyed. So we see judgment again here. God is at work. Again, these nations aren't above him. None of these nations are more powerful than him. But then the reminder again in verse 7, the comfort that the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. So in these first two sections, both sections, we are reminded that God is with us. We see horrible acts of judgment taking place, but we have nothing to fear because God is with us. He is our fortress, our stronghold. Now, the one thing we don't yet know is, is there a command for us? Is there something that God expects out of us, out of those who fear him. So look for that as we read through section three. So starting in verse eight, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So this section opens with imperatives, with commands. Come, behold, come and see. Come and see the marvelous works of the Lord. What are those works? Again, it's judgment. He's going to make war cease to the end of the earth. The sons of Korah had not seen that happen. We, in our time, have not seen that as well. We haven't seen all wars cease across the earth, but he will bring that by judging them, by destroying all weapons, by destroying every army that stands against him. And so we are called 
to come and see his marvelous works. Why are we coming and seeing? To remember who he is, how powerful he is, that he is the only one worthy of worship. We're coming, we're beholding, and then it says that we will be still. To be still, so we stop, and then we know. Be still and know that I am God. What do you think that he's referring to? What are we knowing about him being God? What are we reminding ourselves of? He is creator of all. He is sustainer. None of us would be here right now if he wasn't sustaining us. He is all-powerful and all-knowing. He alone is king of kings and Lord of lords. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is our Savior. So we be still and we know all of this. We know that He is God. He will be exalted across this entire earth. And again, that shouldn't surprise us either. We go back to the very beginning, to creation. Why did God create man? What was our role to extend his kingdom across the entire earth? His will will be accomplished. And we are called to come and behold, to come and see what God is doing and to be still and know that he is God, to be still and worship him, to follow him alone. Now, we live in an evil world. We all know that. It's full of sin and unrighteousness. We have experiences every day with people who don't love God and who are opposed to him. You work maybe for bosses or you have coworkers that they cheat. They do whatever it takes to get ahead. And they succeed, they get richer and richer. We see nations around us that are very greedy, and so they go and attack other nations. See leaders who rebel against their leaders because they didn't like a decision that that leader made. And so governments topple. We see so much devastation, and that's just in humanity. We haven't even gotten to all the earthquakes and the volcanoes and the flash floods and the typhoons that this world experiences. We see the chaos that has come because of sin that is in this world. And the response of most of humanity to this chaos is to try to figure out what do we have to do to solve the problems? How can I save myself? Or who can I look to who can save me in this world? What country can I move to? What president can I trust? Or what company is gonna take care of me for the rest of my life? We look first to things of this world instead of looking to our creator. And that's what this psalm is reminding us. No, don't do that. Don't look to things in the creation. Look to the creator himself. Trust him. Trust him. 
Look to him and we then have no reason to fear. He will provide for us. So we stop, we stop running. That's the command. We stop striving after things of this world like everyone around us. We stop and remember that he is God. We pray, we worship, and we rest. We rest in his presence. And we sang earlier Martin Luther's song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. You know, and I'll just read some of it for us. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. So a bulwark is a defensive position. I mean, that's referring to God, that idea that he's our fortress, that he's able to protect us in a way that nothing else in this world can. I mean, what we might fear more than anything else in this world from a war standpoint would be a nuclear weapon. Even a nuclear weapon can't get through God. He is a fortress that is impenetrable. He's our helper. He, amid the flood of mortal ills, prevailing. So all of those things that I've mentioned, any mortal ill, anything that can happen in our life, from cancer to sickness to war and disease, natural disasters and all of that, he, he is our helper. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate and on earth is not his equal. Satan means us great harm. And Satan wants nothing more than for every one of us in this room when trouble and hardship comes to look to ourselves or other things in this world instead of God to save us. That's his biggest desire, that if he can distract us from God, if he can help, if he can cause us to forget who God is and how great and amazing he is, then he, he wins. That's what he wants. He wants us running around like everyone else. You know, the second stanza goes on and says, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Yes, if we in our own strength try to live, we will lose. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. So ask, ask who that may be. Luther writes, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath, his name, the Lord of rest. You know, Jesus calls all who are weary and heavy laden to come to him and he will give us rest. And from age to age, he is the same and he wins the battle. You know, I shared, you know, earlier that Psalm 46 is written to those who fear God. The promises are true for those who fear him. He's a fortress. That means that we must believe him, though. If we fear him, we believe that he alone is the source of our salvation. Now, the sons of Korah, they, they didn't know Jesus but they knew a savior was coming one day and they longed for that savior to come. But we are blessed to be able to look back after Jesus has come. We have so much more understanding and so much more willing to faithfully follow Jesus. I wanna read some out of the book of the Gospel of John. So in John chapter one, 
we see John 1, verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is referring to Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So life comes from Jesus. Jesus is the source of life. Now, earlier in our call to worship, we read out of John chapter 7, verses 37 to 38, Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So for those who believe in Jesus, that living water that we talked about earlier, it will come out of us. God fills us with life. John chapter 12, in verse 44 to 50, Jesus cries out, and he says to them, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Jesus' words bring salvation for us. When we believe his words, when you choose to follow him, salvation comes, life comes. But for those who hear his words, for those who read the scripture, for all in this world who reject him and do not turn to him, his word, they condemn us. On the last day, they are our judgment. And then one last verse here in, in chapter 14 of John. Jesus says to the disciples, John 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And then he goes on to say that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is our way to the Father, the only way. He is our stronghold. He's the one who's protecting us. He's the one that's giving us the source of life, the water of life. God sent Jesus into the world to save all who would stop worshiping themselves and things of this world and start worshiping Christ alone. Jesus came into this world because that's how much God loves us. And he lived. More than 30 years he walked among sinful humanity, his creation that was rebelling against him, he walked among us. He lived a perfect, sinless life. In those last three years of his life, he showed his power in amazing ways. His power over demons, his power over nature, over sickness and death and disease. Showed his power, and then he let 
us take him to the cross. He let sinful man put him on a cross and kill him. He willingly went there because he wanted to offer a way for us to come back to God. He is our sacrifice. And he didn't stay dead in that grave, but he rose offering life to all who believe and are turning to follow him. Now our problem is, again, our problem is is that we can't be still. That in and of ourselves, we strive. We push hard in this world to make a name for ourselves, to provide for our families, to make sure that our kids have a better life than we did growing up. We want power, we want recognition. But that's not why God created us. That's not our design. We were designed and created to worship him, to extend his kingdom, to make his name known all over the earth, not ours. This sin tendency of ours is going to lead us to destruction. It leads everyone to destruction who doesn't stop and recognize how lost we are and turn to Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus today, if you're not following him, please today, stop. Be still, read his word, study it, and turn to Jesus. Turn and follow him. Now, for those who are following God, I ask, are you resting daily in the promise that God is your fortress, your stronghold, that no matter what you face, he is always there with you? Is that what you rest in? Turn with me to Romans 8. Romans 8, Paul is writing to the Romans in in verse 31. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor debt nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God. Not even death. None of the sicknesses that you may face. None of the hardships at work. None of the insecurities and governments. No wars. No natural disasters. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Do we believe it and live like that? Do we remember that this world is not our home? We are exiles in this world. Our home is in that city of God, in the new Jerusalem that is to come. 
You know, I think of the book of Daniel. You have Daniel and his friends. They're taken, not by choice. They're forced to go to Babylon. And then they're told what job they're going to do. They don't even get to choose their job. But the king says, this is what you're going to do, and they have to do it. And they do their jobs with excellence. But do they worship the king of Babylon? No, never. When the king commands them to do something that, that would force them to worship something other than God, they refuse. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they're told to bow down and worship an idol, they say, no, we can never do that. And they're thrown into the fiery furnace. And Daniel, who faithfully every day prays to God when he's told, you can't do that anymore. The king has a new law, and you can only seek the king. You can't seek another god. Daniel doesn't stop. He doesn't stop worshiping his God. He doesn't stop praying. He still prays, and he goes to the lion's den for it. Now, in Daniel, God saves those men, and he exalts himself in that, in that kingdom. But today, or even back then, if God hadn't saved them, their faithfulness would still have been worth it. Nothing in this world is worth sacrificing our relationship with God for. Jesus is worth dying for. I mean, Paul wrote to the Corinthians that death is gain. Being in his presence, that's what we all long for. So why would we let something in this world lead us to worship it instead of saying, no, yeah, it's going to cost me my life if I do this, if I choose to worship Jesus alone, but he's worth it and I'm going to do it. We have to have that mindset. And it's not easy. When hardship comes, the doubts arise. That's why the Psalms exist. Because when hardship comes, we need to be reminded of who God is, how amazing he is, and how worthy he is of worship. And so we need to read the Psalms. We need to encourage one another. We need to remind one another of God's faithfulness in our lives, not just in our lives either, but going back throughout all of history, Throughout all of time, God has been faithful and God has provided for those who worship him. So be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So we stop and we worship. We seek him and we pray. And it's not at all an accident that Psalm 47 follows Psalm 46. They show us how we worship him. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us the pride of Jacob whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. 
God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Let's pray. Father God, you alone are worthy of worship. You are our king. You are king of kings and Lord of lords. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for providing salvation. Turn us, God, to trust you and follow you. Father, may this psalm, may Psalm 46, encourage us. Remind us of who you are. Lead us to stand firm and to stop and worship you. And Father, help us to look forward to Jesus' return. We thank you, Father, for giving us Revelation 21 and 22, where John writes for us, there's a holy city, a new Jerusalem. It's going to come down out of heaven from God. And a loud voice from the throne will say, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God, we long to dwell with you. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. God, we long for that. And there's no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. Help us to look forward to this, God. And by its light, the nations are going to walk. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And then there's the river of the water of life that's bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God. And it yields. And on each side of that river is the tree of life, and the leaves of which bring healing to the nations. Jesus, please come quickly and heal, heal our land. God, lead us to long for you every single day. And God, when we face hardship, turn us back to you quickly, God. May we not stray away. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.